Hello and welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison, and it's my privilege to have you listen every Wednesday. Whether this is your first time listening or whether you have listened to several episodes in the past, I want to welcome you here and I hope that you will find some encouragement for the journey that we call the Christian life because it is a marathon and not a sprint and we need each other. So with that being said, I want to let you know that today's topic is The Chosen Season 3, Episode 8. So we are closing out Season 3, and it's a powerful episode, and I'm really looking forward to digging into it with you, but let's start out with our quote of the day. So you know that if you've been listening to my reviews, or if you've been watching The Chosen, or both, that a major theme in this season is the marital relationship of Peter and his wife Eden. And I really like the way Dallas has taken this up because I feel like he has dealt with it in a plausible way. We know that Peter had a wife because we know from Scripture that Jesus healed his mother-in-law, and you don't get a mother-in-law without a wife. We also know that Peter deals with the proper care of wives in his epistle, And so I think it's important for us to consider that this may have come from personal experience. And so I really like the way Dallas has done this in a plausible way. You know, one of the uh, exciting things about The Chosen is that it's done from the perspective of the people that Jesus chose and who walked along beside him. And they... We're living normal life and observing normal life on top of doing their duties and responsibilities for Jesus as a rabbi. And you definitely see this in Peter because you see him go from a miserable guy to a guy with purpose and someone who's really excited to serve Jesus to then miserable again because he sees Jesus serving everyone else but not him in his present distress. And so let's take a look at our quote of the day, and I really also like the way that he has written Mary Magdalene, because even though he has done a good job at not making her a 13th disciple, as some depictions have, he has given her a place of imparting wisdom when necessary, and I really like what she has to share and especially because she's speaking from personal experience. So one of the things that is happening in this series is, of course, the aftermath of Eden and Peter's miscarriage. And Eden miscarried, and she didn't know how to talk to Peter about it. And then when Peter finds out, he doesn't know how to deal with it. So they're both struggling, and emotionally they're trying to keep their heads above water. So one of the things that happens is that Zebedee and his wife, James and John's parents, come to Eden and they say, we know something's wrong. We think there's something wrong with yours and Peter's marriage. If there's anything we can do to help you, we want to do it. And so Zebedee is actually dismissed because Mrs. Zebedee realizes that there's a sensitive discussion that needs to happen. That can include Zebedee. So he exits, and then it's Mrs. Zebedee and Mary Magdalene and Eden having this conversation. And Mary drops this wisdom 
when she says such an amazing quote. And as I said, if you go through the chosen, you will find that they give her a lot of challenging uh, lines for the chosen audience. And here's what she says to Eden. She says, I don't know what it's like to go through what you have, but I've been through enough to know that you need to grieve. And I think this is so good because we like to bottle up what we're feeling and just try to forget about it, try to put it behind us. And those who don't understand our grief can sometimes in a well-meaning way uh, push for us to put it behind us. But Mary's like, no, you need to go through the cycle of grief. And this is not an easy thing. And you need to let it be what it is before you can move on. And then another thing that I thought was really neat through the course of the episode is that in dealing with her own grief properly after actually crying and grieving about it and then going to the synagogue and being encouraged with Psalm 77, which is a callback to a prequel in the beginning of the episode where David is hearing the psalm from Asaph for the first time, she, as a result of going through this process, begins to realize that Peter's hurting too. Sometimes in our own grief, it's hard for us to realize that the grief is affecting someone else as well. I know when my brother passed away, each one of us in the family processed that grief a little differently. And it can be tempting to tell yourself that if someone's not processing grief the way you are, that they're not grieving. But in fact, that is not true. And the reality is that you just all grieve differently. And so that's an interesting focal point of this episode is just both Peter and Eden kind of coming to their end, the end of the rope and going to the one that can make a difference in that being God. And Peter, of course, to Jesus bodily because he was following him. But we'll get to that as we go through this episode. One of the things that really sticks out about this episode is that it's chock full of scripture. You don't have a lot of chance to have the complaint of plausible fiction in this episode. Jesus spends a lot of time in the Decapolis in this episode, and he does some miracles. He heals a man's leg, and he teaches about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the sower, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl. And then he talks about the wheat and the tares a little bit, and I should probably go back through and tell you the references for those. Uh, the great banquet is actually on here as well. Thanks so much to the BibleArtist.com for pulling together uh, the Bible scriptures for each episode. That really makes my research easier. But here are the scripture verses before we move on for each of these. So the great banquet is found in Luke fourteen twelve to 24. The mustard seed is found in Matthew thirteen thirty one and 32. The sower is found in Matthew 13, 1 to 9. The two sons is Matthew 21, 28 to 32. The treasure is in Matthew 13, 44. The pearl is in Matthew 13, 
45 to 46. And then the wheat and the tares is in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Now, this is an interesting way to incorporate all these parables because the way the book of Matthew is laid out, the impression is given that he did all these parables during Passion Week. Because the first half of Matthew is basically leading up to Passion Week, and the second half is Passion Week, but it's longer than other depictions of Passion Week because it has the parables mixed in. Now, I think one of the reasons that Dallas did this is because he probably makes the intelligent assumption that Jesus told these parables more than once, and he just thought it would be a good idea to put these in here. But for whatever reason, they are all here, so you don't have any problem finding the scriptural significance of this episode. And then, of course, you have a couple other key events, uh, one being the feeding of the 5,000, and another one being Jesus walking on the water, which is where we end the episode. But I like the fact that we see the struggle of life. And when I see the people on the Decapolis, the Jews and the Gentiles fighting in the beginning of this episode, I think about the fighting that we do today. You know, it can be so tempting to think, I'm the only one that's right, and everyone that's wrong is dead to me. But the reality is that we've all been wrong, and when we do have to share the truth of the gospel, because the truth is unchanging, let me assure you right here and now, the truth is unchanging. As a minister of the gospel and a Christian podcast host, I can't change the truth no matter how much I might want to. But I still have the responsibility to deliver it in a way that is loving. And I know there are times when we fail at that. When we think that anger is okay as long as we're right. But anger so often alienates others. So what do we see in this episode as we continue to run through? We see Eden and Peter continuing to struggle. And we see support given to both of them. We see support from Zebedee and his wife and Mary Magdalene given to Eden. And this is really the first time we see her interacting with anyone besides Peter and Jesus, I think, because she is interacting a little bit with the others, but only in a large group setting. So I liked seeing her interact with some other characters. And we see support given in both cases. The interesting thing about this is Jesus is always there to offer support, but Peter is mad at Jesus, so he doesn't want to go to Jesus for support. And I have definitely been there myself with my physical disability, with the death of my brother. The last thing I wanted to do was go to Jesus and talk about it. But he is good, and he continues to be good no matter what happens in my life and what happens in yours. He is faithful. So... What are some positives about this episode? I like that it shows the reality of the human struggle. So often, even in depictions of the actual Passion Week that we've had so far, we may see the struggle of Peter's denial. 
maybe even the struggle of when he said, uh, far be it from you, Lord, you're not going to die. And then Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. But we don't really see the day-to-day struggle that may have ensued. And I really like seeing a human Peter and seeing how he comes to grips with this great loss in his life. And Jesus says, you know, I'm here for you. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trials. So I really like that. And I also like the fact that there's a theme here that Jesus brings unity. We need unity more than ever in the United States of America. And I really like the way Dallas Jenkins paints this conversation that Jesus has because he challenges the Jews and the Gentiles to think about each other and to realize that there's room at his banquet table for everyone. And this is encouraging on a couple levels. First of all, you can come to God's banquety table today and he will accept you. Second of all, even that person that you've been praying for for years, who in some ways you don't think will ever come to God's banqueting table, still they may. I'm sure a lot of people who knew of the Apostle Paul thought there's no way he will ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he did and became one of the greatest church fathers ever. I have to be honest and say I'm kind of excited to tell you that I didn't really find any negatives in this episode. I know that may sound really hard to believe, but in preparation for watching this, I watched the episode yesterday and then I watched it again today, and I really was looking hard for a negative about this episode, but it really, I felt, was a sound episode from beginning to end. And you, you have so many different interplays. Like I said, you have Eden with her struggle. You have Peter with her struggle. You have James and John getting mad when people question the the rights of and the regulations of Judaism and Jesus just saying they don't need thunder right now. Remember, Jesus is the one that named them the sons of thunder. You have the little boy coming up to them and offering them loaves and fishes and you see Jesus multiplying them and you see the wonder on their faces when they realize that he has multiplied them. So powerful. And it's also so neat that instead of using CGI or hiring a bunch of extras, Dallas actually went to his crowdfunders and said, if you donate to this project, to The Chosen, a larger amount, you can be a part of the feeding of the 5,000. And I just really think that is really cool that they actually got thousands of people there to do a realistic depiction of this scene. You see the anguish in Peter's eyes and his spirit when he realized that Jesus just waved his hand basically and made this miracle happen. But he didn't do anything for Peter and Eden. So you see that struggle. You see the struggle of the religious leaders as they're trying to come to grips with what's going on in the Decapolis, with the way that Jesus is talking about how everyone can be unified. Um, you see the Gentile talking to the religious leader and saying, 
you know, we hurt each other, but God is healing us. And then you see them tired after collecting the extras after the people were full and satisfied. You see that Jesus does things completely and he does all things well. And then you see that Jesus gets off by himself to pray because he needs to re-energize because he is human. Even though he is 100% divine, he is human. So he is spending the night in prayer um, with his father. And then, because he knows everything, he knows that the disciples are in distress on the sea and he comes to them and walks on water towards them. And before I wrap up this review, I want to share with you a a clip from this episode. Now, I've shared clips with you before, and this one is a little longer than I would typically share, but it was really difficult to cut any of this because it's just so amazing. This is Jesus walking on the water and then Peter just asking Jesus to allow him to walk on the water to Jesus. And then, of course, you see the anguish that Peter is going through come to a head when he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. So listen to this clip. And then I will come back with some final thoughts on the episode. I gave up everything to 
So I know there's a lot in that clip and it was, as I said, a much longer clip than I would typically share, but there's so much in there that I appreciate. First of all, you have Peter's despondent because of what he sees as an injustice earlier in the episode, as we've talked about. And now they're out on the water. Uh, It's mentioned uh, earlier in the episode that they could have taken the time to walk around the lake, but that it would typically be faster to go across the lake. And so you have that dynamic. They get on the boat to go across the lake, and of course the storm comes up, and Peter's already in distress. So then you have the disciples scared because they think they see a ghost. And then Jesus says, Fear not, it is I. And I really like that because... Apparently, I've never really counted them myself, but I've heard it said multiple times that there are 365 times that the phrase fear not or do not fear is mentioned in the Bible. And so God is very clear to us that if we trust him, we don't need to fear. And so that's Jesus' first words out here on this tempestuous sea is, Fear not, it is I. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't calm the sea immediately? He waits until his exchange with Peter before he calms the sea. And I think it's a good metaphor in the context of the series for the tempestuous times that Peter and Eden find themselves in. And so I like the fact that Peter starts arguing with Jesus and he's like, tell me to come out on the water and I will do it because I believe you can do whatever you want and whatever you command will be done. And so then Peter gets out on the water and he's walking to Jesus and he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. And the picture on this episode of Jesus' hand going under the water to save Peter is just so powerful. And then you see that this scene is interspersed with Eden dealing with her own demons and surrendering to God in the synagogue. And it's just really powerful because as soon as she lets go of her baggage, she's able to pray for him and say, Do not let him go. She's praying for her husband. Do not let him go. And so it shows the power of a praying wife. And it also shows that they are getting on the same page. Because as Peter is grabbed by the arm and pulled into Jesus' embrace, he says to Jesus, don't let me go. And... You can definitely sense the double meaning there. Don't let me drown in the sea, but also don't let me go spiritually. Please hold on to me because I need you. And I don't know about you, but I have resonated with that so much. Um, and I've been so thankful that there have been hard times in my life where Jesus didn't let me go. The first nine years of my salvation, I was very bitter 
had the fact that I was disabled, but Jesus didn't let me go. He continued to be there for me. And so I just think this is an all-around very powerful scene. And then, of course, after Peter and Jesus are on board, Jesus says, peace, be still. And the lake is calm, the sea is calm, and it's just so powerful to watch that visual and, of course, then watch Eden praying for her husband. And the end of the episode is them finding each other and supporting each other and finally able to be there for each other because they dealt with their own bitterness before God. And I really think that's powerful, too. We can only help others as we seek God to help us. And I really think that that's an important lesson that we can draw from this film. I'm really glad that they decided to do the walking on water. I know there was a point when Dallas thought that it would be too ambitious, but I really liked the way it turned out, and it was a powerful way to end the season. And so the lessons that I have written down and that I draw from this episode other than dealing with our issues before God so we can help one another is also Jesus will use what we have. The little boy had loaves and fishes. That was all he had. He didn't have enough to do a full dinner. All he had was enough dinner for himself. But God took it and made it into something big. And also, God is there when we need him. Even when we think God is silent, God is there. Peter was thinking that Jesus didn't care, but all Jesus was doing was waiting for Peter to reach out. And so I have a question for you. Do you realize that Jesus cares for you? Are you living in the reality that Jesus cares for you. I hope that you are today. If you have any questions or comments about that or anything to do with your journey with God, please feel free to reach out with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. I'm so glad that you've listened, and I'll be really excited when Season 4 comes out and I can begin profiling those episodes for you. Keep in mind that every episode of The Chosen is available free on the app, so you don't have to buy a streaming service or donate any money, put any credit card in, nothing like that. All you have to do is go to chosen.tv and it's there and you can watch all three seasons as well as some very cool bonus material. There are after shows for every show of season three that give you some insight into why they wrote it the way they did. So I'm ending this episode by giving you my rating, and that rating is five stars. I don't often do this for a chosen episode because I try to be realistic about it and share with you what I like and what I don't like, but I think this episode was pretty good from top to bottom, and so I applaud Dallas and the team, and I look forward to to season four. 
Well, that's about all I have time for this week. I hope that you will take the time to contact me with any feedback that you have on the show. It really does mean a lot that you are there listening and that you let me know that you are there listening. And please let me know if there's anything that you would like me to cover in a future episode of the Speaking Firm podcast. For now, though, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.